I say, William, old food, with all this election wangling, are you going to miss the old cut and thrust of Westminster, and now you're a peer of the realm? Well, of course, it goes without saying that part of me will miss the opportunity to take part in the verbal parry and riposte inside and outside of the chamber. Parry and riposte, oh, I like that. Parry. Parry, man. Speak properly, for goodness sake. Riposte, old boy. Riposte. Terribly sorry. Terribly sorry. Oh, Grums, it, it drives me mad listening to you mangle the language like that. Hmm. Well, anyway, you no doubt have, have more time now to enjoy a few diversions from the world of Westminster. I've been listening to this rather odd podcast by this, uh, this chap, Richard Utter, <laughs> all about history and such. Uh, I'm sorry to be all O.C. and... Uh, about it, but the uh, words are rather and history. And I'm sure his name must be Richard. Golly. Well, anyway, this chap uh, plays all the characters. Characters? Uh, 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 characters. He plays them all himself. Remarkable. Remarkable. What? What? Where can I find this Richard Usher podcast? Read. Remarkable. And the Richard Usher podcast is right here, right now. Right here, right now. I say, William, old boy, are you taking the proverbial? It must be the stress of recent news. I blame Brexit. The Richard Usher podcast. Assorted audio antics from Larynx Productions. Written and presented by Richard Usher. Welcome to a special spring omnibus edition of the podcast that dares to recreate iconic and not-so-iconic moments from history. I'm Richard Usher, and it's my privilege to guide you through March and April in times past. However, in a shock new twist, this podcast now features current affairs too. Yes, back in the late 19th and early 20th century, electricity was all the rage. You see? Current affairs? Well, on Tuesday the 4th of March 1882, the first electric trams began to operate in the UK. The trams came into service in East London and were quite radical to begin with. Oi! Oi! What are you doing? You can't hang about back there. This tram has to reverse soon. I'm, I'm waiting for the dung, mate. What dung? From the horse, mate. There ain't no horse. This tram is powered by electricity. Now scram. No horse? That ain't natural, that ain't. Well, let me just, uh, let me just give these here windows a quick wipe. I told you. Skedaddle, you're not needing. So what do I do now, mate? No horse muck, no cleaning. I'm redundant, mate. How do I make a shilling? Not my problem, is it? If you want horse manure, try Westminster. The horse guards, maybe Parliament. How about I just give that uh, that pole thing a quick dusting with my chimney sweeping brush? I, I can reach it. 
Besides, wrong kind of manure at Parliament. All they got there is bull. That woke me up. From trams to trains, and on Wednesday the 12th of March in 1904, Britain's first electric train service began operating. It ran between Liverpool and Southport, and many said it would never replace steam, and was just a poor imitation, whereas others said it was the rail thing. And you join us here at the Liverpool Exchange Station, with a very expectant crowd awaiting the throwing of the switch that will mark the beginning of a new era in public transport. Engineer Harry Hoy mounts the great platform ready to address the assembled dignitaries and members of the Scouse Nouse Society. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it gives me great pleasure to uh, declare this electrified line open. This is most unusual. A problem appears to have stalled this great undertaking. Ah, another gentleman is now mounting the steps. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm with the uh, General Electricity Board uh, and it gives me uh, great pleasure to present you with your first electrically generated utility. Restore the power or she paid. Good afternoon. From public transport and the twistery take on Britain's very first mainline electric rail service, we moved to the old Shanks's pony. Back on the 13th of March in 2003, a set of 56 human footprints were found on the side of a volcano in Italy. As Nature magazine reported, the footprints were around 350,000 years old. Howdy. Uh, afternoon, Professor. Ah. Uh, Tony Cabanara. I'm a reporter with uh, Nature magazine. I hear you've uh, made an interesting find. Yes, indeed. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Cabanara. <laughs> Have you travelled all the way from the U.S. of A. just to speak to a <laughs> little old me? I have indeed, Professor. Uh, we're told this is a very important discovery. Uh, care to tell me uh, something about it? Absolutely. Uh, just having a tea break, as it happens. Uh, room? Uh, no, no, thank you. Uh, so, uh, what uh, have you found, uh, Professor? Well, there can't be... Human footprints, yeah, they, they date back a considerable way, uh, r- roughly 350,000 years, as it happens. <laughs> My team have uh, tracked 56 footprints at all, and uh, they are suggestive of uh, three probably upright walking humans, uh, <laughs> and it looks like uh, they were heading away from the volcano. <laughs> we, uh, we also found uh, an ancient flat box preserved close by. Sure, I can't tempt you to a lecker room? Uh, no, no, thank you. Uh, Professor, uh, how come uh, they were descending from a volcano? Surely the ground would have been incredibly hot. Uh, why would they uh, be up here in the first place and uh, carrying a flat box? Oh, God. <laughs> that, that takes us into the, uh, the realm of conjecture. 
but as this is Italy... Hey! You wanted the garlic bread? can't help it. It's these darned rations we've been eating. We're low on food, Oates. Things are getting desperate. You know that. Oh, dear, um, dear. Speaking of desperate, I'm, I'm just going outside. I may be some time. Oh, this blizzard. Dear me. I can't see a thing. Lord of Narnia. It's one thing to enter our kingdom uninvited, quite another to attempt to take a dump on our throne. I'm most awfully sorry. What have you been eating? Dear me. listening to the Richard Usher podcast, a March and April omnibus edition. You just heard our twistry take on the day that polar explorer Lawrence Oates walked off into a blizzard back in March 1912. Great explorers and famous firsts are a common theme in the annals of history for our spring months, and on the 18th of March in 1965, the Soviet cosmonaut Alexei Leonov became the first man to make a spacewalk. He'd been orbiting the Earth in his space vessel and managed to spacewalk for around 20 minutes. Greetings from the Bosco 2 Company. For the glory of the Soviet Union, I, Alexei Leonov, stepped into space. A beautiful sight to behold, Company. What is that? Morning, Swar. Lovely day. What? Where did you come from, Colin? Well, me? Just over there, mate. Just popping out for a paper. Take the dog for a ball. Waiku? Your dog is Waiku, Colin. Ah, mate. She's a terrier husky cross. I calls her Barker. Watch your space suit, mate. She'll pee up your leg if you're not lively. <laughs> Just being friendly-like. <laughs> well, dos for Danya, mate. Hey, hey. <laughs> What a nice feather, eh? Come on, partner, come on. From a cosmonaut stretching his legs and credibility in our twistery version of that particular event to another historic event from the same year. In fact, this grand opening ceremony took place the very next day in sunny Australia. Well, good day to all gathered as we commemorate the opening uh, of our 1,653 bridge here in Sydney Harbour. Eight years of devoted effort, quite a few million tinnies, finally paid off. 
the uh, Duchess of Pong has a few words, then uh, she'll officiate. <clears throat> it gives me great pleasure to declare this bridge, this magnificent feat of Australian engineering, officially open. Well, that final piece of March twistry helps us bridge the gap <clears throat> towards the next month of focus, April. But before we spring forward, uh, let's hear from a gentleman who has been suffering from a number of maladies of late, the Master of Mirth, Ben Bernard. Blog off Ben Bernard. Under the weather. Just a minute while I turn the gas off. <coughs> oh dear. Oh, I've not been a well man. Touch of the old Cleethorpe's hack and a cold that seemed to have moved in for the duration. It's horrid, isn't it? A gossip chuffing fortune in medicines and tissues. Look what I've got here. All the soil, the lem sips, Beecham's powders, cough linctus. Oh, I ought to have shares in my local pharmacy. Well, well, I kind of do. Delia, the current Mrs. Bernard, works there on and off. Do I get sympathy and mates rates? Do I, Eck? If anything, I, I get to find out a list of things that my symptoms might suggest, which causes havoc with my chronic hypochondria. Something I share with my agent and confidant, Tony Tatting Jr. He's got NHS Direct on his speed dial. And the times you'll find us ferreting around in his old patient's almanacs and medical journals that he bought off of eBay. Still, <laughs> nothing has killed us. Yet. I'm thinking about a medical-based comedy double act. We, we could call the new act Died Laughing and get sponsored by big pharmaceutical companies. Uh, how about Sputum and Cramps? Or, or Shiver and Shake? Hmm. It might not draw the right crowd. I could add a magic routine into the act, of course, uh, reach into my pockets and pull out long chains of brightly coloured paper tissues, all held together with dried mucus. Uh, at least that way we can avoid them going through the wash by accident and uh, leaving a layer of white glitter all over your best turtleneck. Oh, dear. <coughs> oh, you've caught me about to take the vapours. Oh, clear my chest a bit. I I've been wheezing like a bulldog in the Sahara. Trouble is, uh, you get through about a dozen towels in a week sticking your head over a bowl of hot steam with a cocktail of Vic and Albus oil, and then you end up stinking like the petrol refinery over Immingham Way. Anyone comes near me with a lighted match and I'm off, just in case. Right, let's get me head over this bucket, oh, and apply a bit more Vic to my chest while I'm about it. Oh, oh, oh. oh yes, uh, and it definitely isn't manful. That's for the Namby Pamby Hipster Brigade. And they're more than welcome to it. Eee. 
Under the Weather was written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. <laughs> Staying with medical matters, we move into our April twistery now with a bit of On This Day from the 1st of April 1578 and the birth of William Harvey, the physician who would go on to discover the concept of blood circulation. Oh, you have a beautiful little baby boy, Mr Harvey. Ah, thank you, nurse. He's, he's coming along well, is he not? Seldom have I seen a baby so quick in his ways. Yes, we predict great things for young William. Perhaps a public office, if he follows in my footsteps. Or perhaps medicine. Oh, look at the way he's playing with my stethoscope. Oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, nurse. Of course, I will buy you a new one. <laughs> of course, he, he may become a veterinarian. I mean, just look at the way he's taken to our cat. Oh, playing with the string now. Oh, my. Oh, oh I think I shall be sick. Naughty William. Bad baby. We do not play with ligatures. And we do not cut open the family pets. A trip back in time to 16th century Folkestone there. And from the Kent coast to wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen on the 2nd of April, 1801. On this momentous day, Admiral Horatio Nelson defeated the Danish fleet at the Battle of Copenhagen after famously putting his telescope to his blind eye and thereby ignoring the signalled orders for them to withdraw. Voice Admiral on deck. Who said that? I, I'm over here, sir. <laughs> That's the boot deck, sir. Not now, thank you, Abel Seaman. Just had one. <laughs> what, what's your name, say? Oh, Abel, sir. Abel Seaman, Abel. Well, <laughs> how is the fleet faring, Abel? We're finishing off these Danish ships like they're going out of fashion, sir. <laughs> I see a, a sort of Danish pasting, eh, Abel Seaman, Abel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, very... Very good, sir. <laughs> Admiral Sir Hyde Parker's been signalling from his ship. I think he wants your attention, sir. Any orders, sir? Old Serpers wants a bit of me, does he? Serpers, sir? Yeah, yes. Hyde Parker, Serpentine. Hyde Park? Oh, never mind. Pitch me my telescope, able seaman. Aye, aye, skipper. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Aye, sir. Damn it, you left the lens cap on, Abel. Er, er no, sir, no. Uh, you, you put it on the wrong eye, sir. Who said that? Over here, sir. No, no, sir, the, the other way. <laughs> Dash it all, I can't see a blasted thing through this telescope. I need someone with a bit of nice on deck. Where's Hardy? He's back at the Admiralty, sir. <laughs> Cowardice in the face of battle, I'll wager. No, sir, no. He's reporting you for sexual harassment. Says you keep trying to kiss him, sir. Oh, for goodness sake, it was only a peck. <laughs> we both had a bit of rambler. You, you know how it is, able seaman. I do, sir. And uh, the fleet is that way, sir. Fire! Quite a lot of famous battles and birthdays feature in the history books for March and April, and I couldn't resist applying the old twistery take to this famous debut. 
born on the 4th of April in 1932, was a certain actor synonymous with chilling performances, the late, great Anthony Perkins. That's it, Mrs. Perkins. Nearly there. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Perkins. You have a beautiful baby boy. Now, uh, what are you going to call him? Well, Janet wanted to call him Osgood Jr. after me, whereas uh, I wanted to call him Norman. Norman, huh? Yeah, but we settled on Anthony. You, uh... You have far to travel, Doc. Well, uh, got some calls to make, uh, but I'll probably get some shut-eye. Uh, I spotted a nice motel just along the highway. Well, so long, Mr. and Mrs. Perkins. <laughs> so long, little fella. Bless my soul. The little mite ain't but minutes old and already talking. <laughs> Give that back, little fella. That ain't a toy. <laughs> I'll go get a mop. Ah, yes, the birthday of Norman Bates himself, psycho star Anthony Perkins, born in 1932. Of course, the famous shower scene in that classic Hitchcock movie was never supposed to have the iconic music score to accompany it. Old Hitch left orders that it was to remain unscored and that he'd edit it together with sound effects upon his return from a brief vacation. But, of course, Bernard Herrmann, the composer, knew his own craft and wrote the music anyway. Dear old Alfred Hitchcock was pretty annoyed. That was until he saw the sequence itself edited with the score. The rest, of course, is cinema history. Now, one man who had his own iconic image caught on photographic film was the great engineer Isambard King de Brunel, complete with a large cigar that was airbrushed out for the uh, school textbook version in 2005. Well, it was on the 8th of April in 1838 that the Great Western, a steamship invention of the 40-a-day cigar smoker, set off on its maiden voyage. Uh, so, Mr Brunel, uh, several days behind schedule due to the fire aboard Great Western, but uh, you're still confident the uh, record to be the first ship to cross the Atlantic under steam power alone can uh, still be broken? Yes, indeed. This fine vessel is more than capable. Bristol to New York should be a matter of days. Uh, let me take you aboard, Mr. Savage. Uh, can I see your tickets, gentlemen? Ah, we have no need of tickets, my dear sir. Uh, for I am Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Well, they all say that, don't they, sir? No, no, really, it, it, he is Brunel. <laughs> uh, yes, sir, and I'm my own father. <laughs> you don't have a ticket, you don't get aboard. Health and safety, you see, gents. Some clown got aboard in London, had a crafty smoke underside the first-class cars in. Woof! <laughs> Captain got himself an hot flash in the Kyber Pass. <laughs> Look, my good fellow, this is all well and good, and I, I, I admire your zeal. Oh, tar, sir, tar. Missus gives it a good polish with Brasso. <laughs> but, but listen, I am Brunel, and this gentleman is interviewing me about this, this fine vessel. Sorry, Governor, but rules is rules. You could be Prince Albert himself, sir, but no ticket... No boarding. Well, uh, look, if it's going to be a, a nuisance, Mr Brunel, why don't I just take a, a photograph of you um, next to the ship and uh, we can uh, continue the interview in your office? Uh, very well, Mr Savage. That would seem to be an ideal solution. How, how about I stand uh, ju just here, um, cigar in this hand? 
I'm sorry, gents, gonna have to ask you to put out that light to health and safety, you see, you've been so close to the boat and all that. And you never know, might be kiddies see that picture in the future and think it's clever to smoke. Oh, for pity's sake, man. Oh, very well. I shall not be photographed by the boat. We shall adjourn to the launching chains, where my cigar can do no harm. Okay, Mr. Brunel, if you could just hold the cigar thus. Lovely, lovely. And uh, look nonchalant, uh, relax a bit. <laughs> Maybe grab hold of the chains. Lovely. Now, now, hold it. Hold it. Oh, my God. Mr. Brunel, sir, are you okay? Mr. Brunel? We're not being too clever today, are we, sir? Our twistery take on the anniversary of the first voyage of the steamship Great Western in April 1838. It took 15 days for the vessel to travel between Bristol and New York. Old Brunel could probably have arranged for them to get some uh, stocks of bananas along the way, which kind of crowbars in our next bit of twistery from the 10th of April 1633. Good day to thee, Mr. Johnson. Lovely display in yonder window. Yellow as ye sun. And good day to thee, Sir Nigel. <laughs> good to see thee up and about after thy affliction. Sorry, uh, 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 what, what, what did thee say? Uh, uh, Tis this blasted onion you gave us me. Uh, uh, that's better. <laughs> Indeed, Sir Nigel, twas a mere pinch of roasted onion I recommended for thine earache. Uh, not the entire onion. Is thy, um, malady cured? Well, still got ye earache, but, uh, ye goodly lady hath uh, quit ye nagging, thank the Lord. Ah, indeed, Sir Nigel. How dost thy bubonic plague fare? Didst thou administer ye licorice and comfrey? Aye, Thomas. Pen fried em with ye leeches. Ah, and? Useless. Bubo's still bursting anon. <laughs> Hast thou uh, any other remedy, perchance, uh, those uh, yellow objects in uh, yonder window here? Ah, ye humble banana. A most interesting item from Bermuda. But alas, not thus far employed in curing ye black deaths in Idol. Uh, ye banana remaineth a mystery, alas. Uh, some employ them in japes and merrymaking. <laughs> Removeth ye skin, deploy thus... And remove thyself to the confines of ye alehouse to witness thy neighbour as he falleth, as twere, ass over tip. Other gentlefolk purchase ye banana as nourishment, it being plentiful in ye potassium, venturing the view that ladles of custard bring forth ye flavour most pleasingly. And there are those who would claim ye banana to be um, ye codpiece of Satan. <laughs> piece of Satan, ye say? Hmm. Well, I, I had hoped to bestow a naughty gift upon my wife uh, to gain us her favours. And to that end I had intended to visit ye old Anne of Seven Summers uh, to purchase ye vibrating marrow. I, I think perhaps I shall procure one of thy bananas in its stead, Thomas. Uh, couldst thou place it in a plain wrapper? Yes, the humble banana went on sale in England for the very first time back on the 10th of April, 1633. 
they were offered to shoppers in a store in London. Now, of course, bananas are not the only fruit. There are also apples. Now, after the whole debacle with Adam and Eve, possibly the most famous apple was the one that dropped on the head of dear old Isaac Newton. Well, they say apples are good for you, and so it proved on the 16th of April in 1705, when the said Isaac Newton was knighted by Queen Anne in the Master's Lodge of Trinity College, Cambridge. Presenting Master Isaac Newton, Fellow of the Trinity College. Ah, your gracious majesty. Ouch! Get zooks! An apple? <laughs> oh my, such fun. Your majesty, was this at your behest? <laughs> Master Newton, oh my, <laughs> it never gets old. One is very much amused. One thought it might um, appeal. <laughs> ah, indeed, Majesty. <laughs> but it appears to have given thee the pip. What? <laughs> ah, Mr. Chuckleworthy. Oh, do tell us again your famed apple and gravity story. Ah, pink ladies in waiting have yet to hear it. <laughs> well, uh, there we were in the garden, uh, taking tea under the shade of some apple trees. With your Grandmama Smith, no doubt. <laughs> Whence I suddenly got the notion to ask myself, why should that apple always descend perpendicularly to the ground? Why should it not go sideways or upwards, but constantly to the Earth's centre? Or core? <laughs> Assuredly, um, the reason is that the Earth uh, draws it. Ow! Majesty, <laughs> please. <laughs> we apologise, Master Newton, but one simply cannot resist. <laughs> Such fun. <laughs> Am I here merely to be mocked, Your Majesty? Indeed not, Master Newton. I wish to knight thee. Uh, please, kneel before us. Oh, Majesty, such an honour. Uh, yes. And please... <laughs> Humor us by placing this Bremley upon thy head. <laughs> Very well, Majesty. <clears throat> we dub thee Sir Isaac Newton. Arise, Sir Isaac, and uh, just pass the slices of Bremley to Sir Gregory over there. He's making us a celebratory pie. Physics doesn't get tougher than this. From the sword that knighted a famous scientist to the lance that slew the dragon and England's patron saint, George. Celebrated each year, of course, on the 23rd of April. Welcome back to Dragon's Eye. Tense times here. We've all enjoyed uh, too much mead in the break. We're frankly all a bit desperate. Uh, I guess you could call us uh, poor and meady. <laughs> but uh, seriously, we're back with our contestant, George. Who's uh, doing quite well, aren't you, George? So far, Jim, yes. Now, uh, tell us a bit more about yourself. You're, you're from Tewkesbury, and uh, you're not married, but you do live with a couple of wenches. Am I right? Oi, Jim. Gwendolyn and Genevieve. You like the GGs then, eh, George? <laughs> now, uh, a lot of people uh, mistake you for being uh, Greek, uh, 
Tell us all about that, George. Well, it's me swarthy looks, Jen. Aye, but will they help you to win? I wish to prize. Beyond that, Booard, you'll find some terrific prizes. One! A crystal decanter and four glasses. Two! A holiday for two on a Roman slave galley. And a special prize! This beautiful white charger called Hercules. Now, what do you think you'll do, George? Uh, one dragon with six lances or less and save the damsel in distress. Oh, very nice prizes, Jim. Oh, oh, oh dear. <laughs> the white charger, I, I do live in a block of high rise huts. Oh, I'm not sure really where I keep him. <laughs> oh, oh, blow it, Jim. Oh, you, oh, you give it a go. Okay, George, best of luck. Over to Tony. The Good work, George. That's the decanter in pieces. And that's the dragon's Oh, George, George, eating on the second lance. Great shame. But look at what you could have won. Well, the time has come to pack away this bumper crop of twistery treats and wind up this omnibus edition of the Richard Usher podcast. And what better way to bring things to a close than with another iconic George? This time around, George Washington, who became the first elected US president on the 30th of April, 1789. Bye-bye for now. Well, my dear, it seems they're playing my song. Oh, joy. As the first commander-in-chief of these here United States, I have to set a standard. Integrity. Leadership. Propriety. Uh, another cake, my dear. Oh, joy. I must unite this great nation, protect its people and their interests. I must work to inspire all those who follow me in this fine office of president, set a fine example of noble, strong leadership, and above all else, honesty. George Washington, what are you doing with that floozy? <laughs> Martha, my dear, that was no floozy. That was, uh, that was, um, my intern. And do you take tea with all your interns? I did not have tea and cake with that woman. You have been enduring the award-avoiding Richard Usher podcast. Written, performed, edited, and produced by Richard Usher. Jazz comedy theme courtesy of bensound.com. The Richard Usher podcast is a larynx production.